Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Nice Talks. My name is Erica Lam, and I'll be your host for this podcast. As 2019 comes to a close, we're taking a look back at our biggest achievements this year and what we're most looking forward to in the year ahead. This year, we've celebrated our 20th anniversary, held our annual conference in Manchester, and produced over 200 pieces of guidance and advice. Some notable publications include our positive recommendation on cannabidiol for treating two types of severe treatment-resistant epilepsy, a patient decision aid on greener asthma inhalers, our guidance on getting employers involved in the fight against obesity, and our recommendations stating that women should be offered a choice of procedure when terminating a pregnancy. With much to be proud of this year, in this episode of Nice Talks, we'll be speaking to Sir David Hasselam, Sir Andrew Dillon, Jeanette Cusill, and Dr. Paul Crisp as they reflect on 2019 and our plans for the new year. My name's David Haslam. I've been chair of NICE since 2013. I'm Andrew Dillon and I'm chief executive. Yes, I'm Jeanette Cusel. I'm the director for the scientific advice team and NICE International. I'm Paul Crisp. I'm the director for the Centre for Guidelines here at NICE. Sir Andrew, this year we celebrated 20 years of NICE. You've been with NICE since it was established in 1999. What are you most proud of during your time here? It's so difficult to answer that question. Um, I'm really proud of what NICE has achieved and what it's become. Um, Its ability to influence what the health and care system offer and the interest that uh, the country takes in making decisions based on the evidence, I guess is uh, the real achievement of NICE over that period. And of course, that it's become um, such an influence internationally. It's regarded as a global leader now, perhaps the global leader in the use of evidence to inform policy and practice. Uh, so, you know, as we as we finished our 20th year and start looking forward to our next decade, I think we should all give ourselves a pass on the back for doing something really good. What kind of impact do you think NICE has made in the last 20 years? It's a big one and it's an important one. It's easy when you're in the detail of the job to forget what the world was like before NICE was established. And it's not that there wasn't evidence, it wasn't that nobody cared about being thoughtful about how they practiced or about value for money. Um, but there was no consistent approach to that in the UK. Um, and what NICE has achieved over the last 20 years by doing what we do well and doing it so carefully is a fundamental shift in the views of both people who work in the health and care system and I don't think it's too big a statement to say a shift in the way people in the country think generally uh, about how we should decide what the health and care system offers. And Sir David, as chair of NICE, what have you been most proud of this year? This year has been our 20th anniversary and we've continued to produce work of the really highest quality. And whilst it's been great to celebrate our past achievements and milestones, it's been even more important to look and learn and listen and consult and evolve at this time, because let's face it, it is a time of immense challenge in health and social care. This year, we've published more than 54 guidelines covering a range of topics, with many hitting the headlines. Paul, as director for the Centre for Guidelines, which guidelines have stood out to you and why? So I think there's been a few, um, if I can uh, just just pick on some highlights, because each of them has got a different sort of dimension, I think, which is important. So uh, we published um, an update to our guideline on depression in children. And in that, we, we recommend the use of digital interventions uh, for, for kids with mild depression where it's appropriate. And I think that's really quite important because, you know, we're all familiar with the digital world and seeing those technologies being used to help young people manage depressive symptoms, I think was, uh, was a, real, 
real plus. So that one, that one definitely stood out. Um, a couple of others, if I may, cannabis-based medicinal products for a number of reasons. One, we produced it very quickly. We were given the, the commission uh, and produced it within a year. And that, for such a complex area, looking at four different clinical areas and fairly new medicines that people are still grappling with in terms of how they should be used, what the evidence is, and the extent to which different parts of them are actually medicines or not. It was really quite a complex piece of work, and it wasn't without controversy. But I'm pleased to say that at the end of it, we produced a guideline where we could make positive recommendations for some cannabis-based medicines that are licensed for use in people with very severe intractable epilepsies and for people with spasticity associated with multiple sclerosis. So that's a, I think that was a good outcome. Um, and then just one more. It's around lung cancer. So we updated our guideline on lung cancer. And that one stood out for me because it's a rapidly evolving area. Lots of new medicines being used in different combinations against different biomarkers. So different ways that tumours grow. And there's very specific medicines now for those different targets. Very complicated, complex area. But the team has done a great job in trying to link together what our guideline says with what our technology appraisals say bring that together in a graphic format and keeping that updated. So I think we'll see more of that going forward. What are you most proud of this year? Well, I'm, I'm most proud of my team, actually. I think the people in the Centre for Guidelines do an amazing job. As you say, we've done 54 uh, new guidelines and updates. We've produced, well, by the end of the year, we will have produced close to that number of surveillance reviews. This is where we keep on top of what's happening in the evidence base we use. And, you know, it's not just the volume, it's the complexity. So I mentioned before some of the guidelines that have stuck in my mind. That's just three out of those 54. You know, it's a lot of complex science, a lot of complex um, understanding of how public health and social care is delivered and implemented. And dealing with a lot of different people and a lot of different points of view. So the fact that we can do that to the quality that we do, I think, is, is remarkable. So, Jeanette, this year we announced that NICE International, our not-for-profit international division, is relaunching. Can you explain a bit about what this program does? Yes, of course. It's been incredibly exciting to relaunch at NICE International. We've been um, working on our international strategy for the last year. We decided to, um, to, to relaunch it under the, uh, the name NICE International that's been used previously. Um, similar to the last team, um, NICE International um, provides uh, an advisory service to international organisations, ministries, um, government agencies with the idea to support the use of evidence-based decision making in health and social care across the globe. Uh, we host delegations um, that come across to the UK from other countries. Um, we do a lot of work in knowledge transfer, um, so that's workshops and seminars that can be tailored to that particular organisation, that particular country, on whatever they need. It could be um, insights into how NICE operates, into our methods and processes and how we uh, make decisions, um, but also could be insights into why we have developed in the way we have over the last 20 years. Why is it important that companies seek scientific advice from NICE and what does NICE get out of this? So companies um, traditionally plan their clinical evidence plans around the two major regulators, so the FDA and the EMA, um, but it's really important they also seek the insights of HTA, health technology assessment bodies like NICE, to ensure that 
they're thinking of the, the populations and the comparators and the outcomes that HGA bodies and payers want to see as well as what the regulators want to see um, and, and actually um, integrate their cost effectiveness aspects early into their, into their clinical development plans. In terms of what NICE gets out of it, well, the key aim for, for the scientific advice team at NICE is to, is to optimise the evidence that committees see, so that committees are basing their decisions on the best possible evidence. And it also allows NICE to have an early insight into what key challenges are coming in the future, because we see things very early on. So although all of our projects are completely anonymous and completely confidential, we can still feed back into other areas of NICE, the key challenging areas that we see coming. Um, and we can feed that, for example, um, to the science policy research team. Sir Andrew, Sir David, as we all know, you've both announced your departure from NICE this year. What are your hopes for the organization moving forward? Well, uh, that it's still here in another 20 years time. Uh, given what NICE has achieved and given its, the status it has, the confidence and the trust that people have in the organization, um, there's no reason to imagine why NICE won't be here in another 10 years' time. Continue to inform decisions taken by individuals, inform decisions by those who've got the responsibility for delivering the health and care system about what they should offer. And I think acting as a beacon internationally for the right ways to go about organising uh, a health and care system. Well, of course, next year we're going to see uh, NICE having a new chair and a new chief executive. But I'm absolutely certain that our, our values of independence, of openness, of transparency, involving patients and the public, involving experts, uh, will keep NICE as the world leaders of, of uh, all the aspects of work that we do. I honestly don't think our work's ever been more important. And, and my real hope is that politicians continue to recognise that great benefit to both themselves and the whole population that our continuing arm's length independence brings. I'm going to miss it so much for what it is as an organisation, for the things that it's done, but most of all for, I'll just miss the people at NICE. This is, and it's not just me saying this, I hear so many people who work with NICE on advisory committees or who engage with NICE in different ways. Their compliment that they pay about the quality of the people that NICE employs is just a consistent theme um, throughout those discussions. Um, so I know it's true. These are, it's such a fantastic group of people. I'm going to miss them more than I can say. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nice Talks. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to click subscribe to keep up to date with our monthly podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram with the handle at NiceComs. Thanks for joining us. From all of us at Nice, we wish you a happy holidays and a lovely new year.